Mo, and I'm here with Pow today, and we are Fixed Astropod, and we are going to talk about the Pisces deck this week. Um, having talked to other astrologers uh, about the previous episode, I think everybody's excited to hear us talk about the deck and more. So, yeah, uh, I'm really excited for the Pisces episode because um, I'm biased. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I'm biased in a different way. I don't have any Pisces placements at all. Pisces is my 11th house, but it's an empty house. But my mom's a Pisces stellium. My sister's a Pisces stellium. My dad's a Pisces sun. And so, oh <laughs> yes, I was very excited to research <laughs> for this episode. Oh, no. Like, um, yeah, I know a lot of people with um, Pisces placements as well like um my mom's a pisces moon um my best friend has like mercury and saturn not like conjunct but widely conjunct um and yeah like i don't know and then yeah i guess like also like i'm the saturn and pisces generation so I mean, it's just a good way to talk about my Saturn sign and my rising. Yeah, I would say like a good bulk of the clients I get have Saturn and Pisces. So that's always a fun one to talk about. And looking at it with the Deccans like does add like some extra nuance to it. Um, but yeah, I guess before we jump into the Pisces Deccans, do you have any announcements in terms of just your Astro podcast or what's going on with you with like Astrology World? Um, so I don't really have much going on. I do have an announcement coming, I want to say the 18th of March. So stay tuned. It's about changes in my practice. Um, other than that... I don't really have much coming up and I feel like um, everything's coming in the summer. Like there's just so much time and so much good like transit things happening. So yeah. Yes, I cannot wait. <laughs> um, as for me, not much going on either. I actually closed my readings about a month ago because I just need a break. My job as a labor organizer is like really, really picking up right now in a good way. And so I had to kind of really step away from that. But I'm still doing this podcast. I'm still doing my Panay Astrology podcast. And I was a guest on the astrology show recently where we talked about the angular houses. So that was like a really fun episode to record with um, Kira and Diana. So any of you all want to check that out like please give us a listen give it a listen and let me know what you think all of us had like prominent like angular placements so mm -hmm. that was like, really kind of just fun to discuss so that's all that's kind of going on with me yeah that that episode is actually in my queue for so I have a bunch of in my life as a grad student I have a lot of um tissue processing to do and so I'm basically just sitting at a machine for like hours a day and it's good to listen to podcasts. So that's definitely like high on my list of things to enrich my brain while I'm doing mindless work, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me know what you think about it. 
But yeah, I think um, before we dive into the Deccans, we did want to talk about Pisces as an archetype. And so do you want to kick us off on that? Yes. So Pisces is another one of our signs that, um, I mean, to say this as politely as possible, um, got hijacked. (laughs) by the um modern planets and so pisces was um the second um home of jupiter traditionally and so one way i like to think about the signs is in terms of their element their modality and the planets that you know rule or like are exalted there slash the planets that are debilitated there and i think that you know Pisces is really nice because it's mutable water so out of all the water signs it's the most malleable I would say um and with Jupiter there's this sense of like wanting to be inspired by things whereas like Sagittarius energy is looking to be the source of inspiration you know it's the flaming arrow that you see shooting through the sky Pisces is more like the Ooh, I'm vibing with the collective, right? And Jupiter is all about feeling like you're part of this big thing, right? And I feel like Pisces energy really embodies that. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you that uh, like the modern assignment of Neptune as the ruler of Pisces like just does not do Pisces justice and then so you get like a lot of people who like really try to like be like oh like Pisces is very like um like a dreamer and it's like yeah can be but you know a lot of that also can be attributed to Jupiter and not so much like Neptune and um but yeah I (laughs) Um, I do think the rulership of Jupiter is super important in terms of just understanding Pisces. I also really like when I think of like the signs too, I also think of what the other sign is that that planet rules. In this case, it's Sagittarius and just that Mm -hmm. juxtaposition of like, you know, Sag is a fire, um, also mutable, but a fire sign. Um, Pisces is a water sign and, um, I often find that the exploration that's like associated with Sagittarius is it can it can be the physical world like there's a stereotype that oh Sagittarius is love to travel and like you know be adventurous and stuff and like yeah there is like there is that part of the archetype I think a lot of that is like Jupiter's um what do you call propensity for expansion and growth and like all that kind of stuff but um, with Pisces, like, I think there's that too, but I think there is, um, because it's a water sign, I think there is a lot of exploration of, like, within or, like, spiritual exploration oftentimes gets, like, associated with Pisces. Um, I'm especially excited in terms of just, like, talking about, like, that, that first decade of Pisces, right? Because I think a lot of that Pisces theory, that Pisces archetype comes out, especially in that decade. Yeah, I really feel like the, um, the travel things do they they should be a part of the piscean archetype and i would argue that you know we'll see this like when we describe the first two decans especially but there's a lot of imagery around like traveling but whereas like again with the sagittarian theme there's almost like this like very it's like this more obvious like 
I'm going to like travel and there's like this goal, there's a target, which makes sense, like with the archer archetype, right? Whereas with Pisces, there's more of this like traveling, not necessarily with like a destination in mind. Mm-hmm. Or even if there is one, it's like not clear. It's just like, mm-hmm. you'll know where you're going when you feel right. Like that. that's very much like um, Pisces energy. It's almost like wandering. Whereas like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Sag is like, okay, I'm traveling to um, inspire people with my tales or like a lot of people with Sag placements. Um, I'm also guilty of this, like just doing things for the sake of doing them so that you have fun stories to tell, right? Um, <laughs> like, I feel like Pisces is just more like, I'm wandering in search of like, finding a place where I feel like I belong in like a larger sense and I feel like that's very very Piscean especially when you think about like the fact that Venus exalts in Pisces hmm yeah that's like a yeah that's like a really good point yeah so Venus exalts in Pisces um you know Jupiter is domiciled there as we discussed and then we have Oh my god, why am I totally blanking right now? <laughs> like the dignities and the debilities right now. Um, Mercury is in detriment in Pisces. So. Oh, also fallen in Pisces. It's like oh, yeah, double. Also fallen. <laughs> it's double debilitated in Pisces. And I think that's interesting because like it kind of speaks to the nature of Mercury and it kind of emphasizes the whole like um getting lost in the sauce like um vibing with the collective vibe that pisces is going for like i find that people sleep on mercury as like defining things i find that mercury and saturn have a lot in common they both like tinkering with things i mean they have different reasons for wanting to do it like mercury is constantly looking to um I guess find smaller subcategories or pieces to like break things into um whereas saturn is looking to like tweak things for the sake of building a structure right mercury is not necessarily looking to do that and i find that mercury struggles in the the jovial signs because the jovial signs are all about building a narrative or like the big picture and mercury is not about the big picture (laughs) It's about the details. Yes, very, the precision. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think, like, the debilitation of Mercury, the double debilitation of Mercury in Pisces makes sense, because when you think about, like, water signs, water signs are cold and wet. And, I mean, I would say that maybe Mercury in Sagittarius is a little easier because... Mercury like prefers to be um dry like Mercury just prefers to be dry like that and so I think that's where you know yes like the Sag Mercury has like the big picture issue but like the dryness kind of helps it get its message across better whereas the wetness of Pisces is just overwhelming like wetness makes it hard to separate or distinguish things. 
planets. And so it kind of makes sense that <laughs> Mercury has a doubly hard time in Pisces. Yeah, that's like a really good point. I mean, that kind of wraps up just my general thoughts on Pisces. Do you want to jump into Deccans or is there anything else you wanted to point out? With no, Pisces? this is a nice segue into the Deccans because we're going to get into the like wandering imagery really fast. Yes, I guess my last note on that even, right, is I think another kind of a bummer about just some using astrology and, you know, it's, you know, I think a lot of, like, the alphabet system, for example, just really assigns Sagittarius. Pisces doesn't get enough of, like, the travel and the wandering archetype as much as Sagittarius because Sagittarius gets associated with the ninth house for some modern astrologers. And and then so people just start thinking, oh, Sagittarius equals, like, oh, travel and, you know, whatever, like, ninth house themes. And it's just kind of, it's 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 such a disjustice or <laughs> injustice no, to is. Pisces. I mean, it's also... A Okay, I think it's also, like, it downplays the meaning of the houses, because, like, both, if people really looked at the meaning of the ninth and twelfth houses, both have connotations of travel and being in a foreign place, whereas with the ninth house, it's more deliberate. I would say with the twelfth house, it's not. It's almost like it's forced upon you, like, or, you know, it's like traveling to escape something, exile, um, being excommunicated from somewhere like having to wander because you're lost like i mean that's you know the travel is there i mean if you want to take it to the whole like okay yeah the 12 letter alphabet like put some respect on the 12th house please like <laughs> it's still there like mm -hmm. it's still there but yeah um yeah, and that is um, also, I mean, some of that's also just like, I mean, we just live in this like capitalist consumerist society that just oh, associates yeah. travel constantly with like vacations and like uh, Instagram influencer culture. I know when it's really like people travel for a bazillion reasons, as you mentioned. And so, yeah. But yes, anyway, let's talk about Pisces, the Pisces one, the first decan. So before we jump into it, if you're listening and you don't know what Deccans are or want to learn more about Deccans, I suggest you go back to our first episode on the Aquarius Deccans because we do a really good primer at the beginning just defining what Deccans even are and the different Deccan systems and all that kind of stuff. So um, go back and listen to that one. But okay, so Pisces Deccan 1 is, um, is ruled by Saturn or Jupiter, depending on the Deccan order that you use. And, you know, yeah, on the Pisces archetype of wandering, I mean, this Deccan is definitely it. Um, and, you know, each of the Deccans also gets associated with tarot cards, right? So like the Eight of Cups is the one associated with this Deccan and mm -hmm. that absolutely is one like if you look at the um you know the writer weight deck um artwork for this card it's um someone wandering and um you know their backs turn they're kind of going off to the distance you don't really know where they're going and this kind of um fits that i think this is a decan that very much um can be associated with withdrawal um and not necessarily in a bad way again it could be really to like maybe it's to go out and find yourself or maybe it's you know to kind of explore higher truth like i don't know there could be again like you said there's many reasons why people wander um yeah so um it's no surprise that 
um, in his um, workshop and likely in 36 Faces, which we will shamelessly plug until Austin pub publishes it again. Um, <laughs> he calls this Deccan of Pisces the Labyrinth. And so it's almost like there's this hidden... It's like there's this hidden structure behind things, which kind of makes sense with like the Pisces sea metaphors and things like the depths needing to be like a part of all the like every single water molecule that's in the ocean, right? And shit like that. It's like, okay, why is it like this? Why is it like this? Can we go deeper? What is the cause? Like, you know, what what's actually moving and motivating? Um. Not only that, but um, I'm also going to plug this book like a thousand times um, for all the um, tarot heads and tarot astrologers out there. You'll appreciate um, T. Susan Chang's 36 um, Secrets. And oh my God, she does a beautiful job like with all the Deccans. Like I'm, I think I started with Aquarius and I think I'm like starting with, like I'm on Cancer now. But like I read the Pisces one a couple of times because like those really hit the hardest when thinking about my own um, first house and like the placements I have there. But anyway, she um, terms this like the Eight of Cups and I guess the first deck in Pisces as like the farthest shore, which is nice because like when you think about um, the Saturnian imagery, a lot of Saturnian imagery has to do with the boundary between land and sea. I mean, you can kind of think of you know Aquarius like the way that the sign is described like and also the imagery of the tarot card associated with Aquarius there's this boundary between like the land and sea that's kind of like there and for people in ancient times like going to sea was like going to space for them right because they didn't have the, the machinery to go to space right and so yeah and it was freaking that, dangerous. Like yeah. I, when I was taking, um, <laughs> when I was reading, when I was taking that horror astrology class that Sam Reynolds did, and I'm like mm -hmm. reading the book by um, Lee Lemon, like so much horror that was done during like um, Lily's time was around ships. It was constant questions of like, will my ship wreck? Is my ship going to make it to its final destination? Is my ship going to get attacked by pirates? Like. Yeah, no, sea travel was no freaking joke. It still isn't. Like, it's still, it can still be pretty dangerous. Obviously, our technology's improved since then. But. Yeah, and so, like, I think it's interesting how, like, this, there's some of that, like, residual, like, Saturnian, like, okay, crossing a boundary, but, like, in a sign that's, like, watery and Jupiter ruled. I think it's interesting that these things, like, combine there. But um, what I like about, um, T. Susan Chang's like breakdown of this particular Deccan is that Saturn is also associated with like fear and like there's this like you're not just like crossing a boundary like because sometimes boundaries connote like okay you know what's on the other side and like you don't want it in but you're like willing to like traverse a boundary to like face an unknown or like deal with a fear right Mm -hmm. um and the eight of cups is like a card that talks about like being emotionally saturated and needing to like go elsewhere right and like 
maybe the satur you have to overcome the saturation to like leave in favor of something else and it's like knowing when to like leave something and i feel like this shows in this decan a lot hmm. um, yeah I, could- I i mean the fact that this decan like you said um you know austin calls it the labyrinth like when i think of like like even when i just like imagine what it would be like to go through a labyrinth right it's just like um, yeah, there's like the, it, it's structured, right? So there's just this very much that Saturn because there's those walls around you, but I bet like it's your own internal fear. That's probably the scariest mm-hmm. thing about it, or you're just like, am I going to ever make it <laughs> out of this mm-hmm. labyrinth? And, um, that feeling of feeling the walls are closing in and like, you're, and you're just going in circles and you're just like not making any progress at all. Like I, um, I think it's really, really good imagery for this Deccan. Um, and then, yeah, and then flexing between, like, that Saturn and Jupiter, right? Of just, like, like acknowledging mm-hmm. the restrictions and limitations and those fears, but then also, like, the possibilities and the growth and the discovery <laughs> that could come from yeah. this wandering. You know, that made me think that, um, like, what a lot of people don't realize about water signs is that, like, Earth signs, they're looking for a baseline. They're looking um, for things to be consolidated, but water's more so looking for a container. And mm-hmm. when I think of this deck in the Pisces, it's like the container no longer holds effectively. I need a new mm-hmm. container, especially with the Saturn. Like, I need a new container. Um, but aside from the wandering piece, like, I think it's interesting when I look at um, some of the imagery, like from Ibn Ezra, the Picatrix, Agrippa, and even like in a quote from the Yavana Jataka, that there's like connotations of like finding wealth or having resources, right? So, like, I'm just gonna read some of the like descriptions. So, Ibn Ezra says, like, there, this is like a Deccan where a man is wearing beautiful clothes, he has an iron instrument, and he's going home. So it's like, again, this journey. And like, there's this need to find a place where you belong. Um, the Picatrix, meanwhile, says, it's a man with two bodies, like he's going to salute with both of his hands. A face of peace, humility, weakness, many journeys of misery, of seeking wealth and lamenting the manner of one's living. Agrippa says, a man carrying burdens on his shoulder, well-clothed, has significations in journeys, change of place, and carefulness of gaining wealth and clothes. Um, meanwhile, the Yavana Jataka says, the first decanate in Pisces is a woman with a beautiful body whose eyes are expansive and long. Her body is adorned with silk and gold. She stands by the great sea, which she has crossed in a boat for the sake of a heap of jewels. So there's almost like this, like, I know that Austin does mention the whole like going away to seek treasure, but there's almost like a carefulness with resources and um, I guess pleasures or wealth that kind of comes up in this decan. It's almost like finding what matters to you or like maybe like the clothes on your back or like, you know, the things that you have are all you need and you're like, going away to find something that's better emotionally hmm. yeah huh um 
You might be hearing my cat meowing in the background. So. No, it's okay. Sorry, but not sorry about that. <laughs> but um, I know I saw your tweet, so I know you're looking at example charts for this decade. So I'm curious um, what you ended up finding. Oh my god. So, haha, the joke was that me, the astrologer William Lilly, um, Kourtney Kardashian, and drug kingpin Pablo Escobar all have first decan Pisces Risings, which is not surprising. Um, I mean, okay. <laughs> In the case of Kourtney Kardashian, um, if anybody's watched the show at any point, I don't know if you guys have noticed, she's constantly complaining about not wanting to be on the show. Like, that's her whole, that's her whole thing. Like, especially towards <laughs> yeah. the end, she was like, you know, like, sh like, again, like, with, I feel like with the wealth significations here, like, in the um, first decade, it's like, okay, I've got, like, I've gotten all that I could get out of this, like, monetarily. It's not doing anything for me emotionally. And, like, especially towards the end of the, because, you know, the, they have they're airing their last season like literally i think later this month it starts but anyway like in the last few seasons she's constantly complaining about like wanting to focus on her own like personal ventures like and being a mom and like how you know doing the show or doing the reality tv thing is not really gelling with her as a person and I I think in recent years she's been doing more with her own personal brand and she's even like got this new like lifestyle shit going on or something. So like mm. I mean that makes sense to me. Um William Lilly, uh, it's been a while since I've looked at his biography, but um I just think it's really funny how he is an astrologer. Um and I'm also an astrologer. <laughs> And it's kind of like you're studying the nature of um, the universe, so to speak. It's like, why do things work the way they do? Like, there's more, there's more to what's going on than, like, what people are having me believe. And, like, with Pisces being a Jupiter world sign, and Jupiter is a planet that's all about belief, right? Like, it's like, why am I willing to believe in this? Like, just why? And, like, what is the nature of the universe? I mean, but in the case of Pablo Escobar, like, I think it's really interesting how he is literally, like, I mean, he's like a drug lord, right? Like, and I don't know, like, I, I feel like with this first decade of Pisces, there's, like, hidden talents around, like, finding resources and wealth. And I think in his case, like, that's, like, the organized crime piece coming on. Especially, like, because he's ruled by Jupiter in that first decade of uh, Aquarius in the 12th house. Like, I found this, like, this way to make money, right? Like, I organized this, like, whole secret network of shit that people don't appreciate, but it makes other people happy. Um it costs people things but like it's good for him the native so um yeah uh i have a bunch of other examples they're not ascendant um 
Well, on um, on I know you you said you hadn't read William Lilly's biography very recently, but even on this, the sources of like wealth or opportunities, right? Like, um, he he ended up marrying a pretty wealthy woman who was significantly older than him. She she was he was her third husband at this point. She had been widowed twice, and she was just like. Her herself had married for money and, like, kind of moved up <laughs> the ranks that way. And so by the time, like, she was, like, widowed again, she was like, I want to marry for love. And William Lilly was way too young for her. And this is a time mm-hmm. when you, like, even now, you, you know, like, you don't usually have the audacity to do this kind of thing. But mm-hmm. he went for it. And he he shot his shot and he proposed <laughs> to her. And she said, yeah. And so that kind of really kind of set him up or gave him the stability to be able to like do his work in a, as an astrologer and in terms of just beliefs like not only was he an astrologer but like many people was like politically active and you know he took a side <laughs> and um it was interesting because astrologers took like the different sides between the two different parties like at the time and mm-hmm. he himself had um you know faced like a lot of controversy that could have you know in i think in times meant like imprisonment or even like death like he got um he got in trouble or not in trouble but he had um he had predicted a big fire in london and mm. so people started accusing him of setting the fire and he had to like mm-hmm. really like stick to his guns on it like no astrology works that's what happened it's funny because like he has a i think he has like a libra jupiter in the eighth or something like i i'm pretty sure he does yeah. In terms of example charts, like I saw, I, 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 um, I mostly just looked at people who have son, their son in that decan. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I thought was kind of really funny is I don't know if you know who she is, but um, I'm Filipino, so it's a big deal for me. But there's a mm-hmm. um, singer named Leia Salonga who has her son I know in this first decan. Yeah, because yeah, she's the voice of like all these different, the singing voice of so many Disney princesses yeah, like Jasmine and Mulan. <laughs> And so I thought that was kind of a cute, like, kind of whimsy example of someone who, like, gets to play, like, Disney princesses as her career. Yeah. um, I have a couple fun examples. So two examples you wouldn't think are um, related. So Dane Rudyard, our, um, our king of the modern astrology that a lot of people are into today, um and elizabeth taylor both sag risings um both have mercury in this decan in the fourth old sign house um in the case of elizabeth taylor she actually has her mercury kazemi uh and mars in this decan in the fourth in the um fourth old sign house and i think she's like I'm pretty sure she's, like, well-traveled, and I'm pretty sure that, like, she was born in one place, but, like, lived in another, like, I I don't know, but, like, the wandering theme is, like, very pronounced with her chart. Not only that, but with Mercury ruling the seventh house and seeing how she was married so many times, like, constantly (gasps) abandoning relationships that were emotionally, you know, saturating or draining to her, like, Especially because her Kazemi is, like, almost exactly a post-Neptune in the 10th house. Like, I mean, it, it's just so loud. <laughs> like, so it's just, mm-hmm. like, and I mean, Dane Rudyard, like, he, 
I mean, even though I don't know as much about his history, but I know that he kind of had a similar thing with relationships. Like, he needed to be with, like, women who were, like, very inspiring or deep, and he was constantly looking for new, like, I guess, muses. Mm. Um, and then I think it's interesting how, like, his 10th whole sign house is also ruled, is Virgo, right? And, like, um, I think, like, he was originally born in France, and, like, he had a different, like, birth name, but I guess through, like, whatever mental, emotional journey, he, I guess, adopted a new persona, like, because Rudyard is not his, like, last name, originally, mm. right? Yeah, and so, I think like, the Elizabeth... Oh, sorry. sorry. No, wait, go ahead, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the Elizabeth, that's a good example, because you're right, she, she was born in London, but mostly, mm-hmm. like, grew up in the United States, but... I think I think she's a good example in that like yeah this decking can represent like wandering for the person you know who's like has a placement in that chart but I also wonder too if they have also have the ability to take and stuff like, like take people to other places because like the role Elizabeth play, uh, like Taylor's mm-hmm. the role she's most known for roles like Cleopatra for example is probably her like most famous role um where you know in some ways she played you know for lack of a better word a very very exotic you know figure from like another time another world and um and yeah and so um the fact that she was just kind of known for kind of playing these kind of roles right she's not playing like that like girl next door like type like archetype right she wasn't typecast in that in any way she kind of tended to go the other way um so i think yeah i think elizabeth taylor is like a good example no yeah like her whole and i mean like yeah she can definitely take people to other places and then like i don't know like there's something about her ninth house ruler being in that decan that's just very um i guess loud to me but then like she was kind of um because like i can see the ninth house as being like um like your political beliefs and whatnot and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if she was like using her ability to like you know go to different places or even like because the sun kind of does have connotations for like the things you want to project like i do wonder if like she kind of used her role to like project and take on like certain roles or personalities like to advocate for certain like political causes and stuff Hmm. Um, I think like, the... oh, she converted oh, to Judaism, like, wow, at some point, and she became like, um, very involved with like, um, like supporting certain Jewish or Zionist causes and things like that. Interesting. Um, but oh. she was also um very very um outspoken about the um AIDS crisis as well and things like that I don't know but um yeah no I I I think she's a great case study if you want to look at the first decade of um oh I have another really good example and you're gonna laugh Mm. because it's LeBron James (laughs) Mm. and he has his Pisces Mars conjunct the midheaven um which is the the ruler of his sixth whole sign house and um 
I think it's really interesting, like the the bit about emotional saturation, and because like the thing is, he's a very talented player, right? And mm-hmm. people really like him, and I think that's that speaks to Mars being in triplicity in um, in Pisces. But like, I do remember that one of the defining features of his career was like him denying himself the ability to really like. Um, what's the word like I think it was his attachment to like his home team in Cleveland like he was so committed to like staying there like he needed to get his town like a ring like a championship and it wasn't like notice how it wasn't until after like he successfully like carried his team basically to the championship that he left like there was this um, like and I I found that that was so profound because it's like he was such a star player and he would get to the playoffs literally every year but he, they, he wouldn't get a ring right and I think it speaks to the whole like Pisces one needing to know when to walk away from things um I thought that was pretty loud so yeah that's a great example yeah yeah I don't follow sports too much, but I know who LeBron James is. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know about his biography too much. I know too much because like I was a LeBron James hater. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, um, I think the only other example I have for this Deccan that I think is interesting to kind of look at is Erica Badu has her son. She's actually a, a Pisces. Uh, she's got a Pisces new moon in her chart. Her moon's in the second Deccan of Pisces. So we okay. could segue into that in a bit. But her son is in the first Deccan of Pisces. And I don't know too much about Erica Badu's, like, biography in terms of just, like, the actual, like, physical wandering and traveling but Mm -hmm. just the fact that she's known as like the queen of neo soul that she kind of like really kind of brought like the genre of soul into kind of this new level this new era um even for me just like listening to her music just like kind of just like takes me somewhere else like it's definitely a vibe it really does it really does like um and why does it not surprise me that she (laughs) she has her um she has like her new moon <laughs> in Pisces like yes yes not surprising at all <laughs> yeah um yeah. yeah we can segue into the second decade of Pisces which I think doesn't the moon technically like co-rule it I had I found a lot of good like moon examples like moon or ascendant examples yes the i know i have some good examples for that one too but yes the second decade of pisces is ruled by jupiter and the moon so um yeah you're right about that um austin copic calls this decan the net and the tarot card that's associated with this decan is the nine of cups so um which just shows a man who's just very very (laughs) satisfied with all of his cups um, I, I think, you know, on like if the, if the Pisces Deccan one is about like, just kind of this wandering and trying to like, you know, find something and trying to like, you know, explore, like, you know, it's, it's a Saturn, like Jupiter rule Deccan. It's interesting to then transition to this Jupiter moon 
real decan because um you know the moon's sustenance right and like nourishment mm-hmm. and so with a jupiter moon ruled decan it really is about just like being um being fed by like the invisible mm-hmm. and um finding the most fulfillment when what i guess just maybe what your visible or public life or just the realities of the world are are like kind of in line with like your invisible or private world experience yeah um so i really had fun like unpacking this decan um and so like i was when i was revisiting um 36 secrets um this was the one I would say it was a tie between this one and um, the next Pisces Deccan that kind of made me really rethink like the Deccan, but also like the tarot card associated with like, um, so uh, Tisus and Chang says that this is the Deccan or card of fishes and wishes. And like, when she was talking about it, you guys really just have to read it. Like, I'm just going to plug this book into oblivion. Everybody needs to own it. Everybody needs to read it because like, I felt like I was having a profound experience. But anyway, like there's this level of anticipation of the reward that you're trying to get that is kind of connoted with this deck in. And then she speaks of like providence in terms of like, um, you know, kind of like, okay, what's being provided for you by like your surroundings and how are you aligning with that? And something that I thought of for some reason was, I mean, she doesn't talk about this story, but I was like, why did I think of like the story in the Bible where Jesus takes like five loaves and like two fish and like turn it into a whole meal for thousands of people? It's like a miracle, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, what I really like is that um, T. Susan Chang describes this as like, this is like the card of being in a flow state. And it's like some of the satisfaction and like success comes from like how you are aligning with your surroundings and like maximizing, um, you know, what you can get with what you have almost. And like, I can kind of see like, how Austin is focusing on like, okay, maybe they're like, the invisible is kind of like the invisible hand, which is like, okay, I've put all these like Easter eggs around you now. Like if you're in alignment, you'll find them, right? Um, But then like, she also talks about like the act of catching a fish as being like a fleeting moment when you can capture an opportunity and take it forward. And like the nine of cups, depicts like you benefiting from being able to do that right i like i think that the the story you gave of like the miracle of fish and loaves of jesus is just so interesting because there's a lot of debate about that story right um Mm -hmm. like some people think it's a real miracle right like jesus and uh, like just actually like multiply these loaves and fishes but there's one (laughs) There's one interpretation that what had happened was, yeah, there was a, there was a crowd of 1,000. There was just like no food around in sight. And that what had happened was Jesus instructs his disciples to put, you know, these loaves and these fishes in like one basket and just keep passing it around. And that what had happened was then people started taking out their own food that they'd packed for themselves for this journey and then started putting it all together. So combined ended up becoming a big feast. 
either way, either interpretation, it's a miracle nonetheless, right? Because one's like an actual miracle of a man multiplying fish and loaves, but the other one is the miracle of community of and collaboration because mm-hmm. oftentimes we think of humans and are like, you know, we view people with suspicion. You don't know of like, and you know, that, that trust and that faith that people are all going to kind of come in together and collaborate and pull their resources together. Like, I actually think that's more miraculous than someone like making ma- yeah. like bread and fish like magically appear. No, I, I agree. Like, and I, <laughs> I don't know anyone who thinks that like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and I think um, what's interesting is when you read um, not all of the, not all of these, like, descriptions of this Deccan, but some of them, particularly um, Ibn Ezra's, like, you still get the connotations of, like, wandering or searching, right? Because this one describes a beautiful white woman, side eye, <laughs> sitting in a ship at sea, and she wishes to go out on land. Um, in the Picatrix, you have a man turned around backwards, holding his head downwards and his feet upwards. Doesn't make sense. Lifted up on high, and in his hand, a tray of something to be eaten, a face of reward and strong will in matters which are high, burdensome, and valued, and of thinking. Agrippa says this is a woman of good countenance, well adorned, and the signification is to desire and put oneself on about high and great matters. Um, the Yavana Jataka is the one that kind of feels like the odd, the odd person out. It's like a woman, dreadful in life, the foremost one. She is fierce, has no clothes. Her color is white, red, and black. Her garments and ornaments are destroyed, desiring clothes. She she shouts out. Like, the other ones feel more like, okay, like, people are looking for, you know, they're anticipating something good, or, like, maybe they have good things, right? And they're putting, they're putting themselves in a position to, like, benefit from something greater, right um whereas like in the yavana jataka there's almost there's like this hungry sense i get from there's this hungry sense i get from that description and i think it's interesting that some of the like jupiter moon decans i forget how many there are there are at least two um have connotations around like satiety and hunger and dealing with excess but like in the context of nourishment and like what you need right i the second so i'm glad you read those descriptions because it actually made me think a lot about my mom who as i mentioned has this pisces stellium and sure enough my mom just sent me a text message right now (sighs) but my mom has the sun and mars in this decan in the ninth house and it's really fascinating to me how, you know, my mom can tend to have an attitude and sometimes it's like a little bit annoying sometimes, but she can tend to have the attitude of just like, just like some blind optimism of just like everything's going to work out. Like, and you know, my mom's an immigrant from the Philippines. She like immigrated here at like 21 mm-hmm. with me and like my dad, like not knowing anything about the U.S. And it's just always like just been like, it was the right decision to make. Like the United States is great, blah, blah. And she's right. I mean, I think like the move what ended up being a huge, like hugely positive, like for her. Um, it's fascinating though. Like I just think of the ninth house because the one thing my mom, like, 
another thing about my mom is she can often act like she knows everything and then she's just like right because again it's just kind of some <laughs> of that like faith and optimism it's oh my god this jupiter moon real deccan but the one thing like that just is so i just remember having this really profound conversation with her a few years ago the one time like i'd ever heard her like admit that she doesn't know or that she's still exploring is around faith and religion and spirituality mm. like my mom ever since i could remember has explored every freaking like religion and belief mm-hmm. system you can like possibly think of i mean she's a lot of why i got into astrology because like she just like has to this day she has books on everything from like christianity judaism buddhism her latest thing is exploring islam like she's constantly on, like youtube channels like we'll say islam mm. and one day she, she just kind of worded it as just like i'm still searching for the truth and i'm like hmm. <laughs> interesting i that- think she's just, and i yeah wow no that's interesting especially with the uh the mars the mars there because like i feel like mars can be a planet that like like i know everybody's like oh the moon and mars like okay the moon and mars can be very like hungry planets okay like and i feel like mars in the ninth um is yeah definitely searching for that like i can totally see that I think it's funny that your mom went through that because my mom, like my mom's ninth house ruler is not in Pisces in this decade, but she has a, she has the moon ruling her mid heaven in this decade. Um, and it's interesting how she's gone through like these weird spiritual um, evolutions. But I think in the case of my mom, it kind of shows up in terms of like her career, especially the parts about like, eating and hunger and like searching for something. So like my mom for a while, she was a surgeon with a specialty in like, um, like gastro, like the gastrointestinal system, right? And she would operate on children. Like, and I think it's pretty like loud that that shows up because it's like, okay, dealing with like issues around like maybe kids putting things in their mouths or like not I guess trying to search for like the problem in their digestive system I don't know like that Mm. feels very six house like moon and the fact that that was her career for a while was pretty pretty interesting I mean that's like literal sustenance right (laughs) literal sustenance right yeah (laughs) wow in terms of um, celebrity chart examples, like I know you were saying that you have like quite a few like Moon and Pisces ones. Like I think my favorite one is Janae Aiko. Um, mm-hmm. She <laughs> has like I uh, she has a Pisces eclipse in um, yeah, but her Moon is in the second decan, and then her Sun's in the third decan, which again we'll talk mm. about next but i um i mean that that the the point you're making on just like the hunger right like i feel like that comes out in just like so many of her songs as well as just like like one of her favorite tracks of mine i mean god she has so many i wish i could think of a track that was like it's a little bit more mainstream so people hear but one of her favorite Mm -hmm. tracks that like never went on the radio for me is called 3 16 a.m and it's just like the lyrics are just all about just like i don't have a fear of flying like i don't care if i'll fall and you know it's it's about romance right and you know for anyone who follows her like romantic life oh my god just like her shit by big sean anyway (laughs) um 
but yeah, I mean, the song just kind of goes into just constantly falling into this cycle of just like really wanting love and like romance and then getting disappointed and then still constantly getting back up and like trying again. And just like, man, <laughs> yeah, that could also be a sign of like this decan too. I mean, that Jupiter and Moon. Yeah, I think also like the there was like one of the lyrics you're talking about that kind of struck me as like um, being like, okay, like I'm going to align myself with whatever happens and like hope love comes to my lap. There, there's kind of that element of that with this Deccan. Like, yeah, there can be the act of searching, but like after reading the fishes and wishes section, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see how people with placements in the middle decan of Pisces, especially if you have Jupiter or the moon there, like you might be like more inclined to putting yourself in a position to like receive, right? It's like, I open myself to receiving and like, I'm just thinking about my mom again and how she has all these like manifestation things that she likes to do. And she's constantly trying to be in alignment so that she can receive the right opportunities you know what I mean like there's just that mindset um yeah. I mean speaking of music people I think it's really interesting that um both Billie Eilish and um Phoebe Bridgers but Phoebe Bridgers also has Saturn um, conjunct the ascendant in this decan and they're both like you know up and coming like pop stars slash indie artists right and I don't know enough about Phoebe Bridger's biography but I know Billie Eilish has parents who are in the music industry and I feel like because because they are like it has helped her career I mean you can't deny it it's helped her career a lot um and I think like I've noticed something with um Pisces like when I was reading the bios of Pisces two people especially if they have the moon or ascendant here um they tend to kind of like fall into what they're doing just because like the circumstances around them align with that like, so, I mean, it makes sense that she's, like, interested in music, because I, I believe her um, ascendant ruler is in the fifth house. Like, it's, like, Cancer, Jupiter, in the fifth. Like, so that makes sense. But, like, she happened to have parents who were, like, in the music industry. She was surrounded by it. It was her whole life, blah, 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 right? Um, in the case, I found someone, um, you're probably more familiar with him than I am, Jose Rizal, who's, like, a well-known um, Filipino like cultural hero, um, author, revolutionary, right? Um, so I was reading his bio and like he is described as like a polymath. This guy was gifted in like the arts and the sciences and like this guy just like, he was just so smart and stuff. And I think it's interesting how he has like, I think he's Scorpio, Jupiter in the night. And he, because of his intelligence and like how connected he was, he had opportunities to study and travel and do all this other stuff. But what struck me about his bio was that like the only reason he became um, like an eye doctor was because like he found out that his mom was going blind or something. And so 
I think like somebody wanted him to like study something else or like they know that he struggled with certain like maths or sciences like in his studies even though he was good at a lot like he got one of his siblings to help him out and like secretly study um medicine while he was like I think he was like somewhere in Europe I can't remember if it was like Spain or Germany but like he like was like oh my mom is going blind I have to like do something and so I feel like it's just like oh my god this is the hand I'm being dealt like I have to do something right um let me see let me see oh and then like I have two good moon examples they're very different so like Toni Morrison has her moon in this decade ruling the third house and I think it's telling that she is a very well-respected author but like something about her biography that I was reading this morning was that when she was a lot of her success is because she was willing to like engage in community with like other people like she was looking for like-minded intellectuals right and I mean on the one hand I feel like this placement shows how like her being well connected to people like Oprah later in her career like helped like open up um a wider audience to her um her work but like even early in her career she was like helping people in America get put on to like certain parts of African literature um and so and she had all these like networks going and some of them even like inspired some of her greatest writing like so I thought that was pretty interesting and then Another unexpected example is uh, Marie Curie, the famous um, like chemist, radiologist person. Um, so her moon rules her seventh house and it's conjunct the south node. And so um, what's interesting is that, okay, so through her sibling and her sibling spouse, she ended up in Paris, like to further her studies, but like it ended up leading her to her spouse, Pierre. And through her work with Pierre, she was able to like, especially with the moon, like in its joy in the third house, like she was able to, I guess, build this like important partnership with her partner, especially because the moon, I think the moon's in a grand shrine with like some placement on the midheaven and Scorpio and like Pluto and Cancer. Um, is it Cancer? Yeah, Pluto in the seventh, yes. Anyway, like, I think it's interesting how like things aligned in her academic community to where it's like, okay, she was able to form a partnership, but through like a mutual interest, like they only got paired up because like um, somebody who knew like her relatives or something who worked at the school, um, you know, was like, hey, like Pierre has like some space maybe he can get you a lab but like it was through their mutual love of science that she found her life partner like it's, it's just fucking wild i think that's great and it's very cute so those are my examples oh wait i have another one but like do you have any any more examples 
No, um, I definitely share that last one. I mean, I, I, it's, it's so interesting to me. I'm glad you got, you found a wide array of examples, but it is interesting that so many of them are musical artists, and all of the ones I kept finding, like, I mean, many of the examples I kept finding are people who have like Pisces in the fourth house of their Sag risings, but, like, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, including some of your examples, because I was just kind of like looking or just kind of following along as you were like sharing, and I was just like, oh shit, it's just like. Um, a lot of musical artists <laughs> with their mm-hmm. like with placements in this decade. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, my last example is like Queen Elizabeth um, of England. Um, she has Venus in this decade. Um, I think it's telling that Venus rules her um, 10th whole sign house. It rules her 5th whole sign house and it rules the degree of her IC. Um, and I think, like, of the third house as, like, media and engaging with the public or, like, community. And I think how she's used that to her advantage to maintain relevance, um, especially, like, in the 10th house. And I'm remembering how when she was a child, like, I think during World War II, this was long before she was queen, like, she was, like, leveraging her, like, ability to, I guess, in- interface with, like, what, like, I think radio was becoming more popular and like, you know, when she was first like coordinated, like giving TV addresses and things like that. But I also think of the fifth house as her children and how she's used like her family and like, I guess the ability to like display certain images about or cultivate a certain image about her family that has kind of aided in her reputation a bit and kind of characterized her as like I don't know a monarch I feel like that's pretty telling Um, I think the point you made on just the communication I mean I can't believe she's lived so freaking long or she's seen like the Mm -hmm. like rise of radio and then the rise of tv but no and now zoom and then now zoom and then prior to that it was twitter and it was like social Uh media and it's just like holy shit she really has adapted to the times at least when it comes to like her communications methods freaking boggles my mind yeah and then i feel like her family is like as an extension of her and i think of the fourth house as like or the degree of the IC is like your legacy, right? Yeah. I think like she's done a very effective job in like cementing a certain kind of legacy for herself, definitely. Yeah. 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 I think that's all I have in terms of just examples for this decade. Any other last thoughts before we move into Pisces 3? No. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, let's just Pisces jump into three. Pisces 3. <laughs> you want to start us off on this one? Oh my god okay so this one was so challenging okay like excuse me because Austin Coppick describes this one as a bowl of blood and this is a double Mars Deccan um he describes this as like you know meaningful sacrifices um thinking about the end games and what you're willing to like give everything for um it's not necessarily going to go well, but, like, um, it's interesting how this is associated with, like, one of the happiest cards in the deck. Um, and it's a very passionate card. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because, like, I want to share, like, 
the 36 secrets I, revelation after <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm excited to hear it but yeah i yeah this is a double mars out of all of the because I, I i i'm kind of fascinated about the decans that are like a double something and out of all of the different planets there's like more double mars decans than there are any other like like double mercury double jupiter or whatever but um yeah for double mars the only other decans that um have that is aries one leo three and scorpio one and then so you've got this like pisces three decan um and then it's interesting too that it immediately so after pisces three right comes aries one so we're kind of back at the beginning of the zodiac and then so it's like you get this double mars like twice um so um i find that really interesting but yeah with this decan um i think yeah, it is. I think a lot of the self-sacrifice that can get associated with mm. Pisces is especially in this decan. And as you said, and as Austin has said, that sacrifice can pay off big, um, either for mm -hmm. you personally or for the greater good. Um, but sometimes it can go really, really wrong, too. <laughs> and so um, I think a lot of folks with this placement, it's about trying to just figure out, like, what is worth sacrificing for? Um, and even defining what, what what is worth it, period. Is it, like, your personal gain? Mm -hmm. Is it just kind of a collective good? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read some of the other descriptions because, like, I think, like, it'll kind of bring in some other themes. So like Ibn Ezra says, like there's a naked man putting his foot on his belly in his hand a lance and he is shouting out of fear of robbers and fire. The Picatrix says, this is a sad man and of evil thoughts thinking on deceptions and treachery and before him a woman and a donkey descending over her and in her hand a bird. This is a face of ambition and lying with women with a great appetite and of seeking quiet and peace. Um, Agrippa says, this is a man naked or a youth and um, write him um, a beautiful maid um, whose head is adorned with flowers and it has significations for rest, idleness, delight, fornication, and for embracing of women. Um, okay, and then the Yavana Jataka says, um, this Deccan is a woman whose hair has been loosened and who wears ornaments bearing the emblem of Epiras. Um, she shrieks and is frightened. She stands in the water adorned by troops of spirits having the shapes of jackals, cats, and boars. I think like the imagery is all over the place, but like, as I was saying before, like the moon and Mars can be very hungry planets, but I feel like with Mars, it's more like lust. And there's like this theme of like carnal pleasure that like kind of comes out with like, the some of the imagery in these decans and it's almost like people are like scared of like having risked it all for the wrong things or like people who are like oh my god I did this thing like either it's great or it's bad um mm -hmm. and then what um T. Susan Chang says in her uh piece is that she calls this one the rainbow unwoven and I think that like like, oh my god, you just have to read it. But basically there's this element of demystifying, like, um, beauty and illusions. And the way she describes, like, the meeting of, like, the two Mars ruled decans, like, at the end of Pisces and at the beginning of um, 
Aries is like, it's the place where water and fire meet. And, you know, because fire emits light and it hits water a certain way, it creates like certain images, whether it's light or like, um, you know, a rainbow, right? Or like, think about how like, sometimes like when it's like misty or hazy, like sometimes you'll see a halo around the sun or the moon because like the fire or light is creating an illusion. And there's an element of needing to demystify um, some of that. But then it's also like, what does it take to make the illusion hold, right? And sometimes like, there's certain emotional things that come out of this that can carry over um, into like other relationships or dynamics um, and things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I want, I really need to get that book and I really do want to just kind of parse out more like the association of the 10 of cups. Like, yeah, like you said, just like the happiest looking card in the entire deck with this double Mars Deccan that mm -hmm. is dubbed the bowl of blood and has so many mixed descriptions over the years from different astrologers and, um, yeah, I, I I don't know if you have any other thoughts or if you just kind of want to jump into examples for this one, because the examples I've found are just, it, it is it is all over the lot, I think, just like the descriptions that you just read out loud um, yeah. for this. Yeah, um, I have a couple examples. I mean, one of them is myself. Um, I have Saturn in this deck in, in my first house, and... I think this aptly describes my friendships, but also the, the forms of self undoing that I struggle with because Saturn rules my 11th and 12th. But I find that it's mostly described like um, friendships. And I think more so like reading um, the 36 secrets description, just like the illusion of like what keeps um, people together or like what is the basis of friendship, right? And like what, I don't know, I feel like I've struggled a lot with like allowing myself to fully be open to friendships because I've been, I've mm -hmm. had so many like illusions of friendship blow up in my face um, in the past. Um, yeah, and so I feel like that's how that plays out for me in particular. Hmm. Uh, my yeah. um so, so i was i mentioned earlier my sister has a pisces stellium here and she has mm -hmm. four planets plus her lot of fortune <gasps> and her ascendant in this decan and she's Wild. wrapping up a first house perfection year and to no surprise i think a lot of what she's kind of really grappling this year it was a tough year for her actually um, which again goes to show like not, you know, like I, I get, um, especially after seeing so many chart examples, like the whole like, oh, 12th house years are always bad. And then first house years are like going to be good. Um, it's not that simple. I mean, you really got to look at each chart. But anyway, my sister had a first, a rough first house year. And I think a lot of what's at the crux of it is the idea. It's a self-sacrifice. I think for her specifically, it was just kind of really mm -hmm. like, how much am I giving in like my romantic relationships? Mm -hmm. And, um, and just like feeling like really like wanting like vindication and that so bad i think she's coming to grips with like again it's this mm -hmm. question of like okay is your sacrifice going toward the quote unquote right things or like the wrong things and mm -hmm. i think she's like 
hit some reality of like, oh no, I was putting right. into wrong things. And uh, like like think, major reality check, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited that she's going to start her second house year at least because at least the, that first house year will be over. Well, mm-hmm. she'll be now in Amara's year. We'll see how that goes. For her. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, I have a couple good examples. So... I know you guys are sick of hearing about the Kardashians, but there's so many Pisces. <laughs> there's so many Pisces placements in that fucking family. Okay. Okay. I love. Like, I'm here for the Kardashian examples. <laughs> listen. Okay. So I think it's funny that Kim Kardashian has her moon conjunct the IC like in this decan. Uh, Kanye might also have his moon in this decan. He's either a second or third decan uh, Pisces moon. And I think it's interesting, like, thinking about what those two are going through as a couple. But, like, if you think about, like, um, Kim's whole life is, like, it's literally illusions, right? There's so much about illusions and, like, creating, like, the perfect... Like, maybe something about her legacy is about, like, creating the perfect idyllic family. But, like, I would imagine that, like, with the moon ruling her eighth house, like... I don't know, maybe there's some sort of, like, I don't know, like, there's this commitment to keeping the illusion alive, or the illusion of, like, having it all, right? Or having, um, you know, like, the perfect family and the perfect this and that. Um, With Saturn, her Saturn in Libra, I think I believe it's Antitia, her moon, pretty tightly. Um, Yes, you're right. Yeah. I and you know Saturn being exalted in the eleventh, I mean she's basically able to capitalize off of like projecting certain illusions about her family and her life and the whole reality TV thing. Like it's been good for her monetarily because Saturn rules her um, second house, but also her third, which is like you know media things like that Mm -hmm. and like how she's used that to her advantage in her brand strategy but I don't know how well that's serving her actual family life right that's interesting I think I think Kim's an excellent example for this I think on the illusion too right like I'm just like I'm looking at her chart right now and it's Mm -hmm. like really I mean this is going a little bit too much into her Virgo placement which do oppose her Pisces moon they do she she has Venus and Jupiter in Virgo which are in you know fall and detriment respectively and the fact that and and she's sad rising so that Jupiter rules her like ascendant but on the illusion I think one of the most fascinating things about the Kardashian family and as someone who does I'm a communications professional so like I I find the Kardashians so fascinating like for just personally because it's just like mm-hmm. um it's just like the epitome of guilty pleasure but no I actually also think they're really fascinating from a just a perspective of even just communications and PR and marketing because like yeah, she's putting out the illusion of the quote-unquote perfect family, but a lot of what she puts out there is she, like, goes right to the jugular when it comes to the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of the family. And so, therefore, she gets to control the narrative rather than, like, mm-hmm. every now and then there will be leaks, right? Like, or, like, the paparazzi will find get to something before she has an opportunity to, like, you know, already kind yeah. of, like, leak this stuff out to the media. But the Kardashians are the experts on, like, getting stuff out there first, like, 
for example, like I remember when Kim found out she has like psoriasis, right? And Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a skin condition. And as someone Mm -hmm. whose whole brand is about really incredibly beautiful, um, she rather than like having the paparazzi leak at first, she did an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, like before any of that stuff got on the news, where she talked on and on about the psoriasis and just like how it was affecting her and just like stuff like that. So the fact that the Kardashians are so good at putting controlled vulnerability out there on their Uh reality TV show and out to the media is Kim's a great example for this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no. And then um, like Kourtney Kardashian has her Venus in the first house, not on the exaltation degree, but like three, three degrees away from Venus's exaltation in um, Pisces. Like, um, and it rules her eighth house, but also rules her third. And I'm wondering, again, like, I'm, I'm just thinking about her as a person, like, um, there's so much about her chart and, like, her deck and placements that are pretty loud on the show. Like, um, her, her Venus in Pisces is actually trying her ascendant ruler at the end of Cancer. Um, and, you know, there are, I think, like, you can see, like, how the whole, like, oh, I want to be somewhere else. I've gotten enough out of this, like towards the end of the show, especially kind of ties into her like issues around like, you know, being oversaturated, like which shows up in her third decan Cancer Jupiter, but also like maybe Venus feeling like she's sacrificed enough for the siblings, especially because the third house rules siblings and like media. Maybe she wants to like project a different illusion than like what her um, siblings want to project. Mm. Or maybe she's willingly taken on the role of being the problematic sibling just for the sake of like benefiting everybody. Cause that's what it seems like, especially as you get later into the show, right? Um, I don't know. Um, I, have a, I have like two more examples. Do you have any more? I have one example that I think is like pretty interesting, like just kind of going back to this idea of just like sacrifice is um, so Marilyn Monroe has her Mars in this Deccan in the eighth house. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and you know, like Marilyn Monroe, like a lot of just like her, what she's most known for is just how tragic her life was and that Mm -hmm. she did commit suicide at the end of her life or there's it's suspected that she either like accidentally or purposely like overdosed Mm -hmm. on sleeping pills but then there is also like just a long-standing like conspiracy that the kennedys murdered her because she was romantically involved with both of them and they felt like she knew too many of their family secrets but (laughs) So there's just, there's still a lot of just mystery and just, like, unknown when it comes to, like, her actual death. But, like, what is known is, yeah, like, unfortunately, she had, like, a really, really tragic life. A lot of it did revolve around her romantic life. Um, and a lot of it, too, and, and as well as just, like, her public persona, her childhood even was just, like, really just kind of really wrought with, like, instability, um, you know, from her mom. And, um, yeah, I mean, I... Um, yeah, I'm. I, I mean, I, I know a bit about her biography, but like not too much on exact details. And I wish I had had more time to actually just kind of like look at like her perfections and like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah, she has that Mars and this double Mars duck in. 
Oh my god, speaking of Mars in Pisces, so Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, he actually has his um, Mars in the third decade of Pisces. Um, and Mars uh, rules the degree of his IC, but also his um, third house, third whole sign house. And um, like, you know, he's the son of a former prime minister. Um, he comes from a family of people who, on both sides of his family, both his mother and his father's um, family are like, they have their own little like political dynasty thing going on in Canada. Um, and I find it telling that, um, you know, um, Mars rules his eighth whole sign house. Um, and there's like a lot of illusion surrounding like his family and it being idyllic. But like when he was young, like his parents separated pretty early. Um, his mom struggled with bipolar disorder. And like, you know, there were lots of rumors about her being like, um, you know, not faithful and like her being like promiscuous and like things like that with him growing up. Um, I think also like, um, I think it's interesting because um, part of what put him on the map as a like a political figure was I think he gave this speech about his father's death back in 2000 or something like that. And I don't know, this guy's had a lot of like weird tragedy in his life, but people just think he's this like, I don't know, like, oh my God, you're the son of a prime minister. Your life is like peachy keen, right? Like, but yeah. that's not how it is. Um, I don't know much about his um, marriage because again, it is in his seven whole sign house, this Mars. <laughs> they seem happy. <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I don't know. Uh, but like, to be fair, like the ruler of his seventh house is like a very dignified Jupiter. In the fourth mm. house. So like, I would assume they're happy. I don't fucking know. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the illusion too around just like his public persona, right? And globally, like Justin Trudeau constantly comes out as this like, he gets, he gets this like, right, he has this reputation or image of being just like very progressive and like, he's like cool. And like, it, you know, the juxtaposition between him and Trump, you know, I think just helped bolster that, even though um, it's, again, it's not all it seems. Like, I think Justin Trudeau, first and foremost, is very, very liberal. Like, that's for sure. But I don't think like, in terms of just progressive or just like leftist, like, I don't know about that. <laughs> just from what I've seen, seen or known about his policies. Okay. And then I'm reading more of his bio. Like, both of his parents, like, had, um, I guess both of both of his parents had like because I think his dad was also having affairs, his mom was having affairs, Jeez. like uh, you know. Um so yeah, like and so like there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of like illusion about like his relationship with his parents, but maybe like there might be personal mm -hmm. things about like how like his parent like and his parents also had like a 30 year age gap. Too. like his dad was much older than his mother like wow. so i'm wondering how much of that like influences like i guess kind of how he is or just how he talks about things i wonder what it means for him because like his sex light is the moon in aries and so that mars is like the despot 
river. Hmm. So I I don't know. We'll we'll have to unpack that when we get to the Aries guidelines. Yeah. Um, um, another good chart example I have. So I was just telling Mo about this before we started recording, but I got super excited because there's another astrologer named Melissa, and we both worked or worked together at a, in the same labor union, and so. Um, they're the um, current president of the flight attend the American flight attendants or the Association of Flight Attendants. Oh my God, I'm messing up the acronym. Her name is Sarah Nelson, and it mm-hmm. turned me and Alyssa had been talking for ages. How do we get a birth time for her? It turns mm-hmm. out she does have a confirmed birth time. It's on Astrodance, Astrodance. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she um, she has a uh, she has three planets in Pisces with the Sun and Mercury in that last decade of Pisces, wow. and it's so fucking interesting because it's in her sixth house, and mm. the sixth house is associated with labors, right? And so labor union stuff I've found definitely fits in that house, and so I and then um, I mean, kind of going a little backward, her her she has Venus in Pisces in the second Pisces decade. And it mm-hmm. rules her Libra rising. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, you sh- you, you all should really kind of like look her up because I, I think we're like barely like kind of seeing like the beginning of like the rise of Sarah Nelson. But she's, you know, like, you know, she's a Libra rising. So mm-hmm. she definitely is beautiful. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's a flight attendant, too. And the, the, that is just something known in that industry, too. Just like it's, it's notorious for hiring beautiful women. And but she is really rising up the ranks in the labor world. There's a lot of talk already that she might become like the next president of the AFL-CIO, which is like the big federation of all labor unions in the United States. And when when I tie it back to this Pisces three, right, like I um, I think it's good. She's going to start really kind of calling to question. And um, this is kind of my like worries about her. Like I've met her in person. She is a very, very sweet woman. And like she, she actually manages her own social media accounts because she remembered like the tweets I was doing, like during one of our own strikes, like from 2018, I'd met her in 2019. I was fucking floored that she actually does her own social media. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I I think there's always like a worry for me and I think this does go back to just the Pisces 3 of just like is she you know with her son being there especially and it's it's her luminary out of sec mm-hmm. is she gonna rise up as just kind of like this like leader and just kind of this figurehead in a lot of ways who kind of like become you know becomes this kind of just um very very visible like leader right and that's just always a worry with movements right because it starts becoming it's like less about is it more about the movement or is it more about this person now or is she gonna kind of like really kind of try to make it more about like the movement and so i'm just kind of curious how that's going to come up over the next couple of years especially if she does decide that she's going to try to like run for president of afl cio wow but, no that that's yeah. that's amazing i mean i i would say like um just as much as um, this decan can be about like the mystery, there can be a sense of demystifying or breaking down the illusion almost. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm wondering if there's the potential for her to um, occupy that role. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, my last example is Frida Kahlo, <laughs> Ooh, who has one. Saturn in the whole sign eighth ruling her seventh house, her partner Diego, 
and just thinking about how lusty this Deccan is, <laughs> how both of them, even though they projected, mm, I don't know how successful they were in projecting this, but to some extent, I think especially because like her Saturn is maltreating both her um, Gemini Venus and I believe she has Cancer Jupiter. Yes, she does. Yeah, it's it's like in literally overcoming both of them and maltreating it them. But anyway, like Saturn, I mean, they both are artists. They're both into visual arts and like they were both well-respected, but like their relationship was very dysfunctional and um, they both cheated on each other a lot. Um, <laughs> which- Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking about how like, um, because what, like, Jupiter ruled her fifth whole sign house, right? Sag. And mm -hmm. I remember reading about Frida Kahlo when I was younger and, like, saying that I think Diego was more, I can't remember which way it was, but, like, I think he was more offended by uh, Frida's, I think he was offended by Frida's bisexuality, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, I think he would be upset that she would cheat on him with women and stuff like that, even though he was cheating on her. You know, like it was, it was yeah. just very strange. Like, yeah, I think it's like, okay, they're both artists. They both create this legacy together because the eighth house can be a house of legacy. But like, I don't know, like there's just this, like this need that her partner Diego literally just had for, um, you know, using his, like, acclaim within, like, artists and, like, certain political circles, because I know that both of them were really active in, like, Mexican politics mm -hmm. you know, during their time, um, like, and how that kind of reinforced, like, Rita's need to, like, explore her own sexuality and embrace that if, you know, you have a partner who's, you know, also doing this too, like, why not? You know, it's very tit for tat with them. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking about the little vengeance piece of that, like with Saturn ruling the seventh house, being in the eighth and in this decan of Pisces. Like, cause you know, I'm finding that the eighth house is very transactional, right? In ways mm. that people don't like talking about. <laughs> They just think, so oh, real. a cult, oh, sex. It's like, mm, yeah. what do you owe people? Um, I... What's the tax you pay when you die? Your body. Like, I mean, you know? I love this chart example. I was an art history major, so I'm very familiar with Frida's biography. I mm -hmm. never, I've never looked at her chart actually so i'm like looking wow. at it now and i'm just like oh my fucking god i had no idea she was like a taurus moon i'm like yes but she on you know on this saturn in pisces and the last decade like in her eighth house like yes it rules her seventh house and that does track in all the ways you mentioned plus diego rivera is significantly older than her mm. so it's like okay <laughs> that's yeah. saturn rules seventh house or there's saturn and a seventh house ruler can do that um but it also rules her sixth house in capricorn and um, where she also has Mars um, pretty very closely conjoined to Uranus, actually, like only three degrees apart. It's Mars retrograde. And one of the other things about Frida Kahlo, which is very unfortunate, is that she had very significant health problems. And a lot of that um, 
is stems from the fact that I think she was like about 16 years old and she got into a really, really awful accident that like literally broke her spine, shattered her pelvis, like she almost died. And then it took years for her to recover and she was bedridden for like an extremely like long time. She had actually originally wanted to become a doctor. And that is something I've seen in a lot of client charts, too, of the Saturn and Pisces, with a lot of folks being in the medical field, which is, like, really fucking fascinating to me. But she originally wanted to be a doctor, but that accident pretty much just, she couldn't do it anymore. But because she was bedridden Mm. for so long, what she ended up taking up instead was painting, because it was just one of the few things that she could actually, like, do while she was, like, almost, like, fully immobile. And that's what ended up kind of starting her her career. Wow. No, I think it's interesting because I remember reading about her and I remember like during the time when she had her accident, she like had all these, um, I guess she used painting as a way to like paint different versions of herself. And I think that was something she did throughout her life, like depicting different like illusions around like herself um and things like that um mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's most known for those self-portraits and surprise surprise she's a leo rising mm-hmm. and her son's in cancer in the 12th house conjoined very closely conjoined to neptune they're only a degree away <laughs> so yeah, her using her painting house. to show yeah the 12th house right and the 12th house it can you know it's hidden things can represent marginalized identities and communities and so for her to kind of use painting as like an avenue to kind of express the many parts like of herself in that way mm-hmm. tracks yeah but i mean that was it for examples for me same um same I think this is, I I really enjoyed this discussion on the Pisces Deccans and it just makes me understand them so much more. Same. I've had a lot of um, Pisces, like I'm going through all my written consults now and like I'm getting to a bunch of people and literally at least like five of the last six clients I've done reports for Pisces, literally personal placements in Pisces, just like, wow. And so it's just like, okay, I get it. Pisces, I need to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I think I close my readings, which is why, I mean, I haven't, I, I'm still doing readings, but it's for people who booked in like December, January. Um, but mm-hmm. I haven't gone too many Pisces placements like this go around, but I have a feeling, yeah, if I had my readings open right now, I probably would be getting a lot of Pisces clients right now. It is their season, so there's also that, but yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I feel like I also just draw them out because it's like, okay, wow, this That's person true. has their like their sun's on my Saturn or this is on my Saturn or this is on my ascendant. Like <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right. I think that is all I have. Any other last thoughts on Pisces Deccans or just Pisces? No, that's it for me. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. We will be covering Aries next month. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.